So in this episode, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper into the types of wisdom that can come through our distress. I imagine that many of you who have been listening to this podcast can see that wisdom within those unique stories. But how can we actually start to begin to navigate this system of wisdom ourselves? So I'm giving you guys a preview of some of the content that I use for my coaching work that allows you as individuals or teams or an organization to dive into your experiences of distress and gain that wisdom that will help you shift your life, transform your relationships, transform organizations, and make a broader social impact. Breakdown Wake Up is about discovering the groundbreaking wisdom within our most challenging life stories. I'm Meg Mateer, a psychology nerd turned business consultant and entrepreneur. Join me to hear from leaders about when things in their lives were breaking down and to listen for the wisdom waking up. Along the way, we'll explore fresh perspectives like how distress is a driver of success, not a barrier to it how our personal and professional lives are inherently connected, and how our individual experiences can help solve broader societal challenges. This perspective is really unique when it comes to distress. It's very different than what we've been taught or what we've learned about our distress. What may sound familiar to you when you think about your own distress is that you've been taught that your distress is a sign of weakness or maybe something that's not worth sharing with other people or something embarrassing or something that only has to do with you. Your distress may even be something that gets pathologized, that gets diagnosed. And you may, in a very simple way, just think about your distress as pain, as uncomfortable. So it's understandable that you may not want to dive into your own distress because this is what we've been taught. This is what our culture has consistently given to us over and over again that distress is weakness, that distress is not something to look into, but something perhaps to fix, or not something to listen to, but something to jump over, something to deal with on our own. And this project is a very different approach. So we ask our podcast guests, but also my coaching clients and also the members of the program to boldly look into the wisdom within their distress. So are you guys ready for the five different types of wisdom that you can start to recognize in your own life and also in your organizations, in your relationships and the broader world? Here they are. And I'm going to dive into each one of them in more depth, but I want to give you the five right now. The first is that the wisdom within our distress indicates to us that something is out of balance, 
that perhaps we are going about our lives or our organizations are operating in a rigid way and that our distress is signaling to us that there's another way of doing things and that there's freedom in loosening that rigidity. Number two is about our distress being an indicator of an unspoken or an unmet underlying need, and that our distress is a signal that's asking us to look deeper to understand that underlying need. Number three is about processing critical life events, that our distress can be something that is trying to bring up the awareness of the impact that a critical life event in our own lives, in our organizations, in our relationships have had on us. And by raising our awareness to these these critical events, we then again can become free from them and we can also incorporate the lessons that those events have given us. Number four is about the wisdom in our relational distress about potentially shifting relational dynamics. So just as we as individuals can get stuck, our relationships can also get stuck. And number five is about our distress being an indicator in a real need to shift a cultural or broader way of operating. Sensing broader shifts from our own perspective. So let's dive into each one of these. Let's go into number one. The wisdom within our distress is when things are out of balance or when we're doing things in a more rigid way. So some examples of this could be, for example, if you have an organizational department that's very structured and thrives on that structure, but every once in a while gets really rigid and there's no opportunity for creativity or new ideas. So there's distress within that system that then arises and there's an opportunity to make a shift and to become a little bit more creative. On the other hand, you could have the opposite. You could have a department that's too unstructured. So that distress, again, is an indicator. Another example is that you might notice yourself working incredibly hard, even beyond your own limits, and focusing most of your energy and attention on the needs of others. And this can be an indicator that there's a need to create balance in your own system. So instead of just working nonstop, that there's an opportunity for relax, but also that you're not just paying attention to the needs of others, but also looking inward and paying attention to the needs of yourself. And the third example is that you might, as a leader or as a high performer, be projecting confidence and confidence at every situation, even when internally you feel like things are challenging. And in that sense, your system becomes off balance because there is an absolute need for showing confidence as a leader, but also a deep need to ask for help and to be in a more vulnerable situation. 
One of the episodes that highlights this particular category especially well is Elizabeth Kristoff, where she talks about her own experience as an entrepreneur getting over-identified with the success of her business and therefore working herself so much that she forgot about herself and her own needs. And I know that this is so common, especially for entrepreneurs, that there becomes a hyper-focus on work or on what we are trying to accomplish, that it becomes completely out of balance with our own needs. Number two is, again, diving deeper into this indicator of an unspoken or underlying need. So our distress signals to us that there might be an underlying need that's not being met or not being acknowledged. When these needs are not met, they drive all sorts of different behavior of conflict, of tension, and of inner distress just in order for us to pay attention to them. And when these needs are addressed and heard, they can free up energy. A great example of this particular category is Robert Stambuliev's episode where he talks about having this experience where he was really in distress around um, this physical mysterious physical challenge he was dealing with. And his distress indicated to him that he was concerned about losing his business. And when he listened to that need, that he was concerned about losing his business as a result of his health challenges, he was then able to give that business over to a friend who would take care of it in the case that he was too sick. Sometimes these unmet needs might be something like the need to be acknowledged for the work that you're doing, or the need to understand the impact that you're making in your relationships. You might have a need for more time or more space for yourself. That distress is arising to tell you that that's what's really needed. You might have the need to take on more responsibility in your work or offload some of that responsibility to other people and to be able to trust them. Remember that each of these needs is very unique to the individual or the organization going through distress. So this discovery process is really essential. And this is something, again, that I use in my own coaching practice, but also with organizational change and with the group programs that go along with this project. The third is about the fact that our distress can process critical events in our lives. It can bring up the need to acknowledge critical events. And these events, similarly to our underlying unmet needs, These events can influence our behavior well beyond that instance when it happened. Now, again, these these events range in experience. So I'm just going to give a few examples so that you get a taste of this. For example, you might have felt rejected or left out as a teenager and notice that 
many of your accomplishments to this date, professional and personal, have been driven from that feeling of not wanting to be rejected. You might have at some point in your life been hurt by someone, and as a result of that pain, you chose to try and please and serve desperately other people in order to not feel that hurt or that pain again. Or you might have been yelled at or fired because of a particular professional mistake. And as a result, you've decided that you're not going to let anything happen unless it's absolutely perfect. These critical events can also happen to companies. So for example, if an organization loses a major client unexpectedly, it may for years on end operate from that feeling of wanting to protect and not wanting to lose another client, whether or not the company or organization is conscious of this. And this is the tricky thing about the critical events is that when we don't acknowledge them consciously, they can drive our behavior and again, get us feeling stuck or rigid in one way of being. But when we can bring them to the surface, it allows us to be more free from those experiences and to integrate the learnings from them. And that's where our distress comes into play. It's the signal for us to take a look and understand those critical events. I think many of the podcast episodes have some element of this critical event category in them where the guests are talking about a particular distressing experience and then realizing that earlier on in their lives, they had some other critical life challenging experience that then continued to drive certain types of behavior until they experienced that distress in that moment, which allowed for them to really bring conscious awareness to that critical life event. And in some cases, people didn't even consciously remember those critical life events. So I'm thinking of episode seven with Hesham Elgamel, and he, you know, he talks about actually the grief of losing his partner that inspired him to take a look at his own life. And then he noticed that he was operating from a very non-emotional place because as a child, he had experienced the rejection of his emotional side. So he began to listen to that part and integrate that more into his life. And also Matt Ball's story on episode eight of the podcast, Matt talks about his own experience of going into altered states of consciousness and that that experience actually brought up a critical life event that he had not even remembered from his own childhood. And that when he was able to consciously process some of that, he actually also got a lot of relief from his distress. The fourth category is all about relationships and relationship dynamics. So just as our distress can signal to us that there's something out of balance within ourselves, our distress can also indicate when something is out of balance in our relationships. 
So when you feel tension or conflict between yourself and someone else or within two groups, it could be a sign that the relationship dynamics are trying to shift from a very rigid way of being with each other to something more free. So you might have one person or one department in an organization that really values doing things incredibly fast, thinking fast, working fast, getting answers quickly, not thinking too much about a problem. And then you might have another person in that relationship or another department in that organization that understands the value of taking time, of understanding the details, of analyzing data before they make a decision. And both of these can be very valuable aspects of a relationship, but those aspects can get very rigid. And so when there's a conflict that comes up in between those two, you have the opportunity to integrate the advantages of both. And this isn't just something about compromise. It's about creatively coming up with a solution that would integrate both. So again, you can use tension in a relationship or conflict as a distress signal that there could be something that's really opening up here. And without the distress, you continue to operate in very rigid and stuck ways. And the final category, category number five of the wisdom that comes up within our distress is the last, but it is definitely not the least. The fifth category is that our distress can indicate that there's a broader shift needed in our culture or in our bigger systems because we take on the narratives and the stories of our culture. Part of our own belief systems include the belief structures that exist within our society. And what can happen is that when you experience distress, your own experience or your own gut feeling or your own inner truth starts to challenge those belief systems that you've learned from the culture. And so when we pay attention to that distress, that inner conflict of what we've learned from society and what we believe in our heart of hearts, we can actually start to make real social impact and social change. But if we don't listen to that outdated and frankly harmful, problematic narratives can continue to be perpetuated in our society outdated beliefs about all sorts of things, what success means, what love means, what deep relationships mean, what inclusion means, what innovation and organization means. These are all things that we are constantly adopting from our broader narrative. So when we feel distress, we have to listen to that because our own distress can help shift that bigger narrative. An example of this is many of the activist movements that have come up to fight for the justice or the rights of particular groups of people because they haven't been included or they've been devalued in the cultural narrative. 
Another example of this is your own lived experience of a particular event that goes against what the culture is saying about how that event should be perceived. This is another crucial opportunity for your own activism and storytelling because it starts to shift that broader narrative. Two really, really good examples of this in the podcast is episode one with Cassie Underwood, who describes her own experience of abortion not being represented in the public narrative, which was quite polarized. And so that deeper need for her, that dissonance between her own experience and what was happening in the world created this need to write a book that really represented the complexity of choosing an abortion and the aftermath of that experience. And she's building a social movement as a result of doing so. Another person that comes to mind that really represents this particular theme is Nadia Tarnchevsky's interview. It's episode 12 of the podcast. And Nadia actually boldly explores her own distress around her relationship with her now wife. But at the time, she had a lot of distress around her decision. And by diving into that, she actually began to see the narrative around homosexuality that she had absorbed from her culture. When she saw that, when she acknowledged that she had absorbed this narrative like all of us do, she was able then to consciously make a decision about moving forward with this relationship that went beyond that rigid cultural story of what it meant to be homosexual or what it meant to be in love with someone of the same sex. This is also playing out in the organizational space. For example, Helena Heitenbeig, after experiencing a profound retreat with other women and learning about gender discrimination in the workplace, decided to tap into what her own distress was telling her around her own discrimination as a partner at a major consulting firm. And as a result, has tried to open conversation around gender discrimination in the workplace. Similarly, Vivian Aqua, who is episode 23, and Marcel Schwantes in episode 19, speak about their experiences of operating in a toxic work environment. And when they discovered that their own distress was not about them, but was really about the environment that they were operating in, they chose to improve well-being and a sense of servant leadership in the workplace. So those are the five categories of potential wisdom that you can get when you dive into your distress, when you're courageous and bold enough to go against what you've learned about what distress really means, when you go beyond that and you dive into the wisdom within your distress, and then you choose to share that wisdom, the impact is so incredibly powerful. So if you're interested in discovering this, 
in working with other maverick leaders, high-performing professionals, and socially committed organizations, reach out. I'm dedicated to helping you in a compassionate and safe way understand the wisdom within your distress. If you like what you just heard, please check out our website at www.breakdownwakeup.com. If you subscribe to our mailing list, you'll get weekly updates about episodes and special events. We also have a growing community of people who are getting excited about this concept and sharing their own thoughts and reactions. Finally, if you're trying to discover the underlying wisdom within your own breakdown and need some help, we've designed special programs to help do just that. Thanks again for listening. And remember, when things are breaking down, important wisdom is waking up.